guys, welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. I am your host, Sam Valentine, bringing you an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am so excited this season is off to a bang. We are already on episode four, and I think the first three have been some of the most listened to episodes we've yet had. Last week's episode with Amy Argyle was a major hit. I got so much feedback and messages from you guys about it, and we had a a really nice chat on the Clubhouse app on Friday, all things related to the podcast. Uh, if you missed that, make sure to follow me on Clubhouse. And I know there's a new social media app every week. Trust me, I know. I'm in it with you. You know, follow me on Clubhouse or don't. <laughs> Do whatever you want. It can be a bit overwhelming. Take your social media with grains of salt. Do what you want to do. If this podcast is enough for you, then walk away clean. If you want more, then we will be hosting a show follow-up episode at the end of this week. Keep an eye on my Instagram stories and I will announce when we are going to have it and I'll send reminders and all that good stuff. I cannot thank you guys enough. The reaction to the One Broke Actress Actor Dictionary has been amazing. I am just floored. So many of you have already purchased it and are sending such amazing feedback. So it is going to be our sponsor for this week yet again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if this is your first time tuning in or you missed last week's episode, I created an actor dictionary. It's tons of terms that I wish I would have known a long time ago. A ton of them I still had to look up and get definitions on today. You know, it's terms that you'll hear on set or at auditions or just generally being thrown around in the business. And I think we all should have access to all of the answers. So I created a dictionary. It's available at onebrokeactress.com slash shop to everyone as of tomorrow. So if you're listening on Tuesday, it will be available on Wednesday the 10th. I am so excited to finally release it to the public. I gave it specifically to the email list last week because I wanted your guys' feedback and I wanted you to have first dibs and the uh, reviews have been overwhelmingly kind. So thank you so much. I am so excited to drop it to the public. Uh, So yeah, it's all at onebrokeactress.com. You can click the shop button or you can go to onebrokeactress.com slash shop. Thank you guys so, so much for being so incredibly receptive to all of the sponsors we have used so far this season, including my own. I know it's a little weird to have yourself sponsor a podcast, but we get by doing what we can. Okay, let's talk about our episode. So today we are going to steal some major career knowledge bombs from Patrick Gallagher. You may have seen him in Sideways or Night at the Museum or any of the Night at the Museum sequels or Glee or one of his 153 freaking credits. Guys, Patrick is an amazing actor who was originally from Canada. He's shot movies and TV shows all over the world. Today we're going to talk about how he got past his original bitterness when he got out of theater school. He's going to break down in the best quote I think of all time what it takes to book a co-star. Patrick also shares with us all of his knowledge on working in Canada and what his advice would be to new actors who were just starting out not in a large city. There's a ton of knowledge bombs in this guys and one of my favorite parts is the five jobs that Patrick thinks belong to an actor. I think I'm going to print it out and put it on my computer to look at every single day. It's genius. He is all about working smarter and harder, not longer. And uh, I really think you guys are going to appreciate his career long wisdom. So without further ado, please enjoy Patrick Gallagher. 
but I ran into uh, Mike Mills at a at a bar here, and I lost my shit. Really? He's a guitar player. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then he kind of knew who. I, then he kind of knew who I was, and then I went, "Okay, I'm just like I'm just I'm just ah." That's I so love, cool. You have done like so many things throughout the years, right? Has there ever been a moment in your career where you were like, wow, I made it. This is it. Well, I don't know if I, when I made it, there was a moment, there's always a time when I go, this is really cool. I mean, honestly, I started, are we recording by the way? Yeah. Should I be sounding sage now? I'm getting sage advice. You know, I think the most important thing and the thing that really turned it all is when I first started, you know, Sandra was in our class, went to National Theater School. We had a really great class and a lot of people kind of like hit it really fast. Mm -hmm. And I just started doing the same sort of one-liners and three-liners, which I got really, really bitter about. And in hindsight, you know, I got to tell people, those are the hardest jobs in the world to do and you shouldn't diminish them. I mean, I don't think people realize that if you get a three-line part, what a big deal that is. Doesn't right. mean you need to be satisfied, but you, you, you got to avoid bitterness. So I kind of had to leave Toronto. And I, I literally every day when I'm on set, stand there and go, this is a good day. Look what, look what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? And then I, I'll never forget when I went on Night Museum and I, there, was, there was Dick Van Dyke and there was Ben Stiller and there's Robin Williams. And every, every time I still get that going, wow. Now, every once in a while, you get someone going, wow, I, I'm a big fan of yours. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Not that I'm anywhere near those people. But I think that it's always fun. I'm always kind of in awe. It's never a job. I'd rather spend 18 hours on set and work for two hours and do anything else. But yeah. I literally, I started to work when I got rid of bitterness. And bitterness, I think, is, is the thing you need to avoid more than anything else. I love that. How did you get rid of it? And what point in your career were you at? Yeah, I graduated in 1993 from the National Theatre School of Canada. My first day ever as a professional actor was January 7, 1994, Young People's Theatre. So I did a few plays, which I miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just ended up racking up. I mean, I think my first job was either two lines on Robocop or four lines on Kung Fu. I can't remember which one was first. <laughs> I remember on Robocop, I, 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 I think it was my first job and I had to come in as a security guard and grab someone and go come with me. And I didn't know what I was doing. So on the master, I used my left hand to grab her. And I guess that then it didn't work. I'd use my right hand. And I realized that's not really my fault, but you should be aware of that stuff. People should be aware of the continuity. I'm going to tell you actors that it's not, you don't have to be, but it really helps if you're aware of your own continuity. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and just realize if you don't remember when you drank that somebody's there and, you know, you can ask them, when did I lift the bottle? Um, Avoid, as much as, you know, drinking seems really cool and smoking and eating, it's a pain in the ass. Because you you need to remember what you're doing and you're like, oh, son. I mean, I I did did a show last year where we could smoke. I'm like, this is great. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not smoking these things anymore. (laughs) You don't know where the hell you lifted the cigarette. Oh my Um, God. Can you imagine being on the Mad Men set with that? (sighs) Oh. So what was the question you asked me? How did you ditch the bitterness? You know what? I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I, and in hindsight, I had sort of done a lot of like four to five line jobs and I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, you know, and I felt like I was going nowhere. And you have this thing when you get out of theater school, this was the 93, you have this thing where you got out of theater school where you feel like you have no time or you get, where you get started, where you feel like you've got to get it big. You've got to get it now. And you know, the advice I would give to actors starting is, you know, just, don't make your own timeline. You're young. I mean, 25 is young. You got, you can do this for the rest of your life, you know, and you need to keep 
an eye on the long game, really. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and be satisfied and go, okay, I'm just going to do, I'm, I've done 10 things. I'm not going to want to do more. But you can't diminish any job in my mind, you know? I mean, but I just started to kind of go, I'm not getting anywhere. I just wasn't very happy. You know, I was doing the same kind of roles. So I left in 2000 to move to New York City. Um, and I just had to get out of Toronto. I think I was just in a rut. And then I worked at Radio City Music Hall as a tour guide for a little while. And then there was a play called Mom, Dad, Living with a White Girl, which I had toured in Canada, which I told them I don't want to do because I'm in New York. And then they called me and I had no money. So I thought, okay. And they didn't, couldn't find anybody else. I said, okay, fine. I'll just go do the one tour and I'll save some money. Should have known I couldn't save money back then. I'm terrible with money. Me and money are not like, it's like, fuck you, money. Get away from me. You know, <laughs> me and money do not get along well. I like to have it and get rid of it. And then I ended up staying in Vancouver. And 9-11 happened, so I didn't go back. And it, it, you know, it's funny how things happen. If I had gone back to New York, I think my, I'm not sure how things would have gone. But I got master and commander because I was in Vancouver. That's crazy. In, in 2001, yeah, I was working at the White Spot on, on, um, on Georgia, which is the same White Spot that Corey Monteith worked at after me. I didn't realize that. Wow. So Corey worked there too from Glee. We worked at the same oh, White Spot. Okay. And I remember, yeah, and I, I'd been in Vancouver and I decided to stay and I was literally having that conversation of, I've been doing, this was 2001, I think. And I was going, you know what? I, need, I can't do this any longer like this. I don't want a regular job. I just need one job to... Just give me one job and I can just quit my regular job and go. And then I got it. And this is the other thing I want to tell people is, you know, the breakdowns are an interesting resource and they help you a lot, but they're, they're break. They're, they're the interpretation of the people do the breakdowns and they're doing their best and what they think it is. Don't put too much stock in it because master commander breakdown. I'll never forget it. They sent it to me and it's a Russell Crowe movie with Peter Weir. And the description was awkward dates. Welsh, 1805 British Navy. And I'm like, are you people fucking crazy? Look at my face. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I'm, like, this is, I'm not going to be a Welsh guy in 1805 British Navy. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go and maybe I'll, maybe, maybe Peter remember me. Because your background just is, a, your parents are, is it a, a mix of, just, was it uh, Chinese and Chinese? Irish? Yeah, I'm Chirish. Yeah, that's why my, that's why my emails are all Chirish. I'm a Chirish guy and stuff. And so I went in thinking, you know what? Who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll remember me for something. There were no lines. It was simply a series of questions. And I got that job. Wow. You know, I got jobs where it was described as, you know, on Siren was a 60 year old rotund, um, happy guy. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm none of those things. I'm one of those things. I'm rotund, <laughs> but I'm not 60. I'm not happy. <laughs> you know? And, and so, I mean, and they're, they're a guide, but you know, just go and do the best you can. Cause are you produce as well? I don't direct? know. This is um, a one well, trick wonder. Well, well, but we know this. Like, they have no idea what they want until they see it. So never walk into an audition saying, what, what do they want? I'm going to give them what they want. Give what you give them truth. And if they see it, if they like it, they like it. You know? But you can't go in. That, that's the other thing I learned. And that's when I started working is when I stopped trying to figure out what it is they want. Mm. Because they don't know. You know, I'm going to play... I'm going to play a role differently than somebody else's. And what they're looking for is your ethos. What they're looking for is, is, is who you are. You know, I'm going to react to tragedy or comedy or a car accident differently than everybody else on the planet. So if you're, I'm going to ask for coffee differently than everybody else on the planet. I'm going to ask someone if they want what, how, what size coffee would you like differently than anybody else on the planet. 
And that's all you've got to do. Sometimes it is that simple. What size coffee would you like, sir? That's it. Yeah. Just ask it. That's, that's also what I want to talk about those small roles is they're so difficult to do. And they're so, and the instinct on that is to try to become interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to really get in trouble on an under five mm-hmm. because we are interested. I, I sort of equate it to a wheel spinning and you need to, you need to, or, or rowing in a boat. You need to row when you're supposed to row, but you can't row when you, if you row at a different time or pull the wheel at a different time, it's just going to ring false. You know, if you're like, if you're like a desk sergeant in a police station and a detective walks in and your line is, this came for you and give them an envelope and the captain wants to see you. Your wife is not having an affair and your kids are not drug addicts. It's too big. What you can decide is, do I like this detective I'm, and I'm upset he's in trouble or do I not like him he gets, and he deserves it? That's the kind of stuff you do on small roles. In a relationship, yeah. So you can literally go, uh, this came for you and the captain wants to see you. Or you can go, this came for you and um, captain wants to see you. They don't know which one it is. And that's where you just go, what do you want to do? Go with your truth, but don't start getting this big backstory on a smaller role because it just is going to ring. It's just going to seem out of place. It just is. Sometimes your objective literally is to find out what size coffee the person wants. That's it. That's your job. And there's nothing wrong with that. And they're going to pay you $800 or $1,000. And somebody's going to see you. An executive has seen you. And a cast director has liked you. And, and you know, you're going to meet people. You know, just on, that took me a long time to realize that. What gets you work is enthusiasm and joy for this. I'm not embarrassed that I love this damn job. I'm still enthusiastic about it. It's the second best job in the world, right behind Rockstar. Right. <laughs> you know, I'd rather be Rockstar. Was it like realizing that and coming, becoming comfortable with it that made you kind of shrug off the bitterness of the job? Because it's so easy, and especially a lot of actors right now are getting really bitter and and sad about the work so what was it do you think was it that process that got you out of it yeah yeah i did a lot of i mean i worked with a woman named barbara deutsch i did a lot of sort of workshop stuff to help me sort of process a lot of it but yeah it's a fine line because you know don't get me wrong i'm not saying you should just be happy and like you're gonna do you know i understand wanting to do more but it's how you look at it that yeah, I'm not. I wasn't satisfied with it, but I was. That I realized why am I unhappy that I have twelve under five roles? You know, I should look at it a different way. That I want to do more, and I realized how much I learned on those because you can be on set with no responsibility, and if you're smart, you're going to watch how it works. You're going to look at people and go, okay, and it's uh, and try to do it that way to try to make it positive. You know, Barbara Deutsch is great. She's you know she's the one who came up with. You go. You want to go for an audition. You want to go for an agent. You have no work. Well, why are you gonna? Why are you gonna push the fact you've done nothing? Don't push your negatives. Push the positives. It isn't. I've only done student films. You go. I've done five student films. Yeah, you know this. This. We, the, everybody that I compete against. Everybody we compete against is talented. So what gets us work? Who the fuck knows? Sometimes you just look right. Sometimes you're the right hair color. But a lot of it is that you can just will people. It's about belief in yourself. And let's be honest. We've seen a bunch of people. We, we all know people. You go, I don't know how the hell this person works so much. It's because they believe they should. And they, and they, and they have their fun. And they deliver the goods. And they are positive, And they just will their right way into work. Yeah. Um, and it really is about that. And you also, you know, there are also days when I've, I've done stuff where I've had terrible days on set. What do you do? I've when gotten that stuff that I can't. You know, I froze.
shows up a couple of times on a show here called Da Vinci's Inquest, the worst day where I just started apologizing. I never apologize unless I break something. You know, <laughs> like, you know, if I knock a light over, I apologize. But I would apologize because I, they weren't happy. At a direct, and, I, and once I started apologizing, I just made myself smaller and smaller and smaller and shut down and shut down and shut down. Yes. You know? And so I don't, I don't say sorry if, 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 if I don't start apologizing for what I'm doing. I will try to fix it. And sometimes you realize, you know what? I may not be able to give the director what they want. They may have miscast me. It happens sometimes, you know? Um, but we have to direct ourselves. And that's why I think you need to keep taking classes. You need to be able to go, ooh, that didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, why didn't it feel right? If you're a director, I think you need to take acting classes because there's a very particular way that actors, there's a very particular vocabulary. And faster doesn't really mean anything to us. We're going to interpret faster in all kinds of ways. And, you know, good actors and experienced actors are going to go, I know what they mean by faster. They mean raise the stakes or they mean, you know, I want to get out of here. But if you can learn the vocabulary actors use, you're going to get better work out of them. What is your process for getting ready for an audition? And how much has that changed from earlier in your career? Honestly, I don't know if I have a process. I mean, that's great. It's, that's okay. I mean, I, I remember I was in an acting class. I, I still took and One of our teachers, Joe Police, had this great analogy that acting is like driving. So when you first get your driver's license, you're 10 and 2, and you're looking at the road, and you're both hands on the wheel. A year later, you're smoking, talking on the phone. You're not even really thinking about it. It becomes second nature. Yes. And I was with an actor who just started, and they said, well, how do you do this so fast? And I said, I'm doing the same things you are, but it's exactly what Joe said. It's second nature. You know, at some point, you ask the question so quickly that you, you don't realize that you're doing it. Um, I, I, the first thing I do is I read it without, I try to read it without reading it from my character's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I just read it and read it. I try to get as much information. If you can't, if you can get the script, get the script. That's great. One little trick is to, um, go on actors access and get all the other sides and read all the other character stuff because they may mention your character. Love that. You may find something there because, because Allison may say Mike's an asshole. You didn't realize Allison thought you were an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> because you have nothing in you have nothing in your thing, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I then just ask the basic questions, you know, what's my objective? What's the relationship? I think I do a combination of everything every acting coach I've ever used, Joe Police, David Rotenberg. Um one thing that I will know that for me is that I can if I, I there's been auditions I've memorized five pages in 20 minutes. That's when I don't do anything. It's like, well, well, I understand this character then. Then it's about little moments of, am I attacking here? What's going on here? How did that feel? Um, I'll literally be on set sometimes as I'm acting, going, ooh, that, that, that was cool. That was an attack. I gotta, and literally, you're still at, but there's a part of your thoughts going, ooh, that was cool. I like that. I but that it's like the part of your brain that's like watching you act while you're acting. And you're like, oh, that felt good. <laughs> yeah. And I try to memorize as little as I can. I have friends who want it. I, I want to be, be able to. Now, audition's different because you need to make artificial choices. You're not going to have another actor there bouncing off of it. When I work, I try to be as barely memorized as I can so I can be open to whatever I'm getting back. Interesting. Okay. You know, I took another interesting class with Sandy Marshall where I, what I liked about this class, it was Meisner, but what I liked the most is she would give two set, three sets of actors the same scene and then they'd go out and work on it and they'd come back a, a comedy scene, others, uh, some people did it as melodrama. Like, I did not see this as comedy at all, where I realized that it comes down to the people. Yeah. Everyone's going to have their own ethos, have their own interpretation. 
Well, it sounds like you've you've built up a lot of uh, confidence in what you bring to the table. Do you think that did that, but did that develop as you booked more, right? Because it's so hard to have that when you don't have credits. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I I did get, it does, but then I also did work at it. And I I wish that I'd been younger to realize and I could have just had it. You know, there is no right or wrong way to do this. They've already hired you. I was so insecure that I used to get, I used to, back in the day when they used to phone us about our jobs and, you know, when fax machines were the big thing. So we, we, I literally, I'm so old that we used to have to go down to our agents' offices and get our sides. Yes. They would leave them outside their doors. Yes. But I remember I would get, I would get a call. They say, you got the job. I go, great. Followed by, I'm going to get fired. There was a deep kind of part of me that didn't think I was good enough. So one of my friends sat me down. This was after Master Commander and Sideways and said, okay, what you're doing is you're telling all these people that hired you that you know more than they do and they're stupid because they've hired you 33 times. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I went, okay, that is stupid. You know, like they've you already- so I take yourself so, out of the equation, right? Yeah, you, you, there is, I think the key came down to I stopped worrying about doing it the right way. It's about truth. And I'm the only person that can judge ourselves is ourselves. I know when I haven't done enough work. I know when I'm afraid and letting that stop me. My responsibility is to go, okay, you need to fix that. You know, or my, and there are days when you're going, that's great. I know I did exactly what I want to do. That was a really great, that was really fast. I can, you know, they came at me with this and that scene went something really interesting. There are a lot of days when it's just a job. And it's Thursday afternoon and it's like, you know what, you're going to get one take and move on, you know? I mean, there's, there's those type of actors that sometimes are not happy with, for lack of a better term, run-of-the-mill work. And sometimes it is. We don't have time. So, but yeah, I just, you just got you just got to go in and, and realize that there is no, there's your way. It's all about truth and it's all about doing the work and coming out satisfied. My job in an audition is to walk out going, to not go, shit, I should have done that. I wish I'd done that. Mm-hmm. I just, as I can walk out going, that's exactly what I wanted to do. That was my interpretation of Mike. Oh, I had another great actor friend of mine, Marlon Young, gave me some advice. I never say thank you until I'm done the audition. Now, we don't go into the rooms as much as we used to. Yeah. But when they say, come and welcome, <laughs> thanks for being here. And I go, well, thanks for having me. He said, I never say thank you until I'm done. Because why am I thanking them? I deserve to be here. I thank them for the time afterwards. I don't, I mean, it's a little small thing, but it's, it's, to me, this business is all mental. I, I completely agree. There's a acting coach I've had on the podcast before named Sarah Mornell, who's based in Atlanta now, but she always says when they say thank you, she's like, just say you're welcome. You spent yeah. the money, you spent the time, you took off work. She's like, yeah, you're welcome. You did the job. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, yeah, yeah, thanks. The dynamic in the room so much. Absolutely. So when I'm waiting to go in, I say, thanks. I don't say thanks. for. I say, they say, thanks for coming. I say, well, I'm happy to be here. Now, once I'm done, I'll say, thank you for watching and get the hell up and go. And go. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than them stopping you going, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Right. Oh God. Yeah. So true. I learned this. I I learned this on, um, God, I'm so embarrassed about this story. I just done master and commander. Thought it was all big shit. I learned so much in that movie. I learned so much in that movie. Mm. Um, and I came back to Vancouver and they were doing, um, what the hell was that Superman TV series for a while? Oh, Lo- Superman and Lois or Clark? It was Kent one Clark. of them. 
Clark, yeah, one of them. And I was supposed to, it was where Perry Mason was coming the first time. I was playing a bartender. And I remember going, this part's too small for me. I don't want to, I just did mess man. I'm going for this little dicky party. And I, I was literally trying to figure out how can I do a good audition but not get this part that was beneath me? It's so stupid now. <laughs> so my, my line was, and stay out. I had to throw him out. And my line was to say, get out of here and don't come back. I literally said, stay out, turned around, turned my back and went, see ya. I got the job before I got home. And I went, oh, fuck, it is true. We don't care about it. Because they get that, I gave off the vibe they wanted for that character. And that's when I went, okay, that's what they mean about don't care about it. Because of course we're going to care about it. Yes. I agree. But you need, but you need to be confident. You need to not, you need to, I learned to love auditions. Another great Joe told me, um, why do we hate something that gets us work? I hate driving to auditions. I hate preparing for auditions, but you had to, and you can, you, you can learn how to do this is how you look at it. I learned to love auditions. It's a chance to play this character one time, mm -hmm. you know? So I, the actual audition, I go, okay, I like the audition. Because what's the point of getting there, going this, being all pissed off and hating it? Well, you know what? That's how we get jobs. So was it why just, hate it? Was it a why mindset waste? change to start to like them? It's all a mindset. I think 90% of this business is a mindset. Talent is a wash. I think talent is your ability to not let fear stop your instincts. Ooh. That's all it is. You know, I mean, acting is knowing yourself and showing yourself. That's all it is. Our job, we have five jobs. Literally five things we have to do. Show up on time, hit our marks, know our lines, don't let fear stop us from, shut us down and make sure someone knows who we are at all times. That's literally the five things. It's oversimplified, but that's literally the five things an actor has to do. Oh my that's God, it. That's, that's my, I'm, I'm an afraid Make sure of someone knows who you are. That's it, that's it. I mean, it really is. Um, but because like I said, I, I know everybody I audition against and I, they're friends of mine and great actors. Who the, how the hell do we know who gets a job? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, the other people, it's not, this is the other thing too, is never, never, I, I used to, I still will hear this as a red flag when I hear someone talking about some particular going, that fucking guy gets all my jobs. No, he doesn't. He's getting his jobs. He's not getting your jobs. I don't compete against anybody. I want the jobs, but if they get it, then they are right for it. Doesn't mean they're any better than me. Doesn't, you know, maybe the cast director does like them more. Well, I can't do anything about that. So I'm not going to worry about it. God, that's so you know, true. there's so much, there's just so much against us. This job is so difficult. And I have friends that I'm like, why are you putting up more obstacles? Why are you keen? You know, saying there's a hundred thousand actors in LA is like saying the sun comes up. There's nothing you can do about it. What the fuck does it matter? Who gives a shit? You know, you, you have as much of an opportunity to get that job as anybody there once you have an audition that's it just forget about everything go i'm just going to do truth mm. and i sat i sat i sat beside the guy who actually runs breakdown services on airplane once and this was really i hope i'm going to show you something generally he said here's one particular, he didn't tell me the job was because he, he was you know doing the um he didn't want to give specific he said here's one job we got eighteen thousand submissions we broke it down to 500 that we considered then we broke it down to uh hundred people that we then considered then down to 50 that we took audition for and then now seven and then one guy got the job so just when you get a job just realize how big a deal that is is what is what the whole point of it is yeah yeah it's so um, true but i think you know like you said mindset is so much of that like if you look at your credits 
it looks like you've been working from the day you hit the scene. So were there ever any times in that time period where you doubted yourself or you thought like, oh, that was probably Absolutely. my last job or times like that? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at it, I had 2012 and 13 were not great years. I went a year and a half, almost two years without getting a job for an audition. I got one offer in that, in that sort of time period. Um, you know, after starting in Canada, where I didn't go more than six months to get me a job in some way, shape, or form. I wasn't making a living at it. Mm -hmm. I punched my last time clock on Mother's Day of 2001 at the white spot on Cordero to go to Master and Commander. And I've been lucky enough to make a living at it since then. But there have been dry periods. Yeah. A lot of dry periods. Um, I don't worry about that anymore. You know, at some point, I think I realize that I'm in this pool and I'm, you know, there's a place for me in this industry and it's up to, I'll work forever. Um, I had dreams of stardom, which I don't think I've given up, but I think you need to be practical about where you are. And because if you, if you, you don't want to be one of those people that doesn't actually, it doesn't mean I don't want to become famous, quote, but if, if you just look at what you don't have, you're not going to appreciate what you have. You know, I've done pretty damn well just because I don't have an Oscar or have this. Yes, I want that. But if you, all you focus on is that, then you're going to become unhappy and bitter. Instead of realizing, holy shit, I did all three United Museum movies with Ben Stiller, Robin Williams, Dick Van Dyke. I went to New York twice. I went to London twice. I've flown in business class pods. You know, I've done TV. It's just, and so it's, to me, it's a, it's a balance of, of, of giving yourself credit for what you want to do, but not being satisfied where you slow down it's about figuring out what your goals actually are i think you always have to have dreams friends of mine don't believe me but i respect the dream i was in an acting class going anybody who's in an acting class is as much of an actor as i am and i'm as much of an actor as meryl streep to me it's the once you call yourself an actor you're an actor there is it's not dependent how much fucking work you've done you know i respect the dream and you need to have dreams, but you can't just have dreams because goals will get you satisfied. Mm. Once you, if you can achieve goals, then you won't get bitter because you, you need to achieve. That took me a long time to realize. You need to achieve goals to achieve your dreams. Some people just fucking show up and do some YouTube thing and they're a gajillionaire and they're famous. That's fine. That's not going to happen to everybody else. A lot of people start with thug three, then you're cop two, then you're cop one, then you get a name. I used to name myself Frank because all first of my 20 jobs were like <laughs> cop one, thug two. So my name was always Frank. And I, and I finally then got, I finally then got a job with a name. And then I got a principal part and then I got a bigger trailer once. And then I got a job where my name was in the front mm. and there is a pecking order, which you need to play by at some point. You're going to come in, they're going to tell you where breakfast is. And then you're going to get a job, they're going to ask you what you want. Don't say, I'm going to get it myself. Say, I'll take this because they're telling you you've reached here and you need, they, it's artificial. But if you don't do it, I didn't do it once and you're going to seem scared. If, even if they don't know what it costly is, if you don't play the position you're in, that's fear. Saying, I'm not worthy of this. They're going to ask me what I want for breakfast and I go get it. Then I'm going to say, thank you, I'll take a burrito. Because they're now saying you're important enough in our artificial bullshit world that I'm going to go get you your breakfast. God, I've never you need to play that. that game. It is. It's true. It's, it's like playing the role on set before you're acting. Yeah. And as long as you realize that it's a, it's a layer of bullshit inside a bubble of bullshit, go, <laughs> everything's important. It's all important in that le level of bullshit. It has nothing to do with real life. 
in that layer of bullshit, yeah. Whose name is in front of whose is fucking ultra important. How big a trailer is, make it ultra important. It has nothing to do with anything else except for that layer of bullshit and that bubble of bullshit. I mean, I've had moments of real fame. I remember being on a red carpet with 300 photographers of Lee. And I remember thinking, they're not going to give a shit in a year. But you know what? I don't care. They give a shit now. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy every second of it. Totally. You and need to realize be- it's going to ebb and flow. Yes. And I feel like that's, the, that's like everyone's goal, right? Is to be able to be enjoy it in the moment. Because I feel like as actors, we're trained to think about the next job the second we book one we're like oh this is so great it could open so many doors and then we like take ourselves out of it and i feel like we don't get to enjoy when we're doing the thing yeah. we work so hard to do and that's what fucked me up on glee as i was always thinking about the next job always thinking about how do i instead of always thinking about am i going to be a regular or not how do i leverage this instead of just that i learned a lot of that from from the failure of it in a lot of ways i failed in how i how i handle myself on that job I should have just, and that's when I sort of really solidified it. That I just got to be happy where you are, you know. You 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 need to just kind of be once you you need to kind of just enjoy it. That's why every day you're on set, I forget about whether I think I've gotten paid enough. I forget about all that shit. You know, the first night at the museum, I signed a Canadian contract, and I, I felt like I caved. It worst feeling I ever had in my life. I got the job, settled a contract, and I had this thing in the pit of my stomach. Now, what I did is I didn't think about it when I went to work every day because I was in some fucking friend's basement suite when I should have been in a hotel and on a SAG contract. I said no to the second one four times. Oh, because you were, because they hired you as a local hire? I happened to be up here. Okay. And I auditioned for it up here, you know, and I should have held out. And I did, you know, I didn't have the guts or the wherewithal to, to, to hold out and say no. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have because they probably would have walked away. Mm-hmm. But I said no four times on the second one. Because wow. all I wanted was a SAG contract. And, and I'm, I'll never forget, my head was going, what the hell? My gut was fine. So I do everything by my gut. I never want that feeling again that I had when I finally signed that night museum deal and felt like I had sold myself short on the first one. I want to talk I to you said about no. that, that contract SAG versus the Canadian. So are you in both unions? Yeah. And honestly, um, I will sometimes, I work in Vancouver a lot. I'm not sure how because they, they lose tax breaks on me. Okay. Um, probably half, more, more than half the time I do under a Canadian contract because okay. the residuals aren't what, they, aren't what they used to be. Now, and film and television, film is different, but you know, we used to bitch about what we call, we're not supposed to call them buyouts, we're supposed to call them prepayments. Yeah. <laughs> it's a buyout. <laughs> yeah, it's a buyout. And they were, you know, back in 10 years ago, they were bad. Yeah. But now, now they're better. Here's an example. I did Sideways in 2003. I still get 500 bucks a year. I did Hawaii 50 in 2010. My last check was 78 cents. Oh my God. You know, the residual structures have changed. And so now, you know, if I come up here and I have four days, I, I go, I'd rather get twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 in my hand right now in Canadian money. Now it's different because I'm a dual citizen, I yeah. guess, maybe. But there's no guarantee that this sh- you're going to get residuals off of these shows. You know, the Netflix shows don't pay that many residuals. You know, right. the video games for Canada are way, way, way better because they're all considered television. I think oh, SAG needs really? SAG actors need. Yeah. Oh, I fuck, didn't know that because video games are are a are a hard are a hard problem. Oh, I feel like we're dealing with. We're we're oh we're we are getting killed. We need to we need to fix that. I mean, they're making three hundred fifty million dollars, and we're happy with seven thousand. How right. about every $100 million you just give us 
voice our fucking money again. When uh, most of those video game voices are the hardest, like I can barely do them because my voice, I have vocal nodes and like it, it requires too much of me. It's all about, it's all about breathing into your diaphragm. Yeah. That's what I spent, I spent $30,000 in theater school and that's, and that was worth <laughs> That's the takeaway. Every, every penny. Because I could yell, I, I mean, I did video game voices, they couldn't believe I could yell for three hours. I mean, it's amazing. any problem. And get Buckley's, Buckley's makes you order it. Uh, yes, it's yes, yes. Ever. I do love those. Um, so, but so I did too. Do you pay? Do you pay to be in both unions? I'm super curious about how this works because we have a lot of actors who are. Yeah, I pay in both. Okay, of maybe of Canadian descent who live in LA and with all the nonsense in our world beyond a pandemic and this election are considering moving back home and not sure like about their union status and what to do. Well, I mean, I, I may be in a youth position. I, I probably there were years when. Last year, 70% of my work was Canadian. I did Canadian series. So, I, you know, I always keep my union dues up to date because Canadian union dues are 180 bucks a year. Oh, wow. Um, a full year? You know, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 180 bucks. Cool. Yeah. Plus, we get healthcare. Um, you know, the one thing I want to say about the video games, I did one for Ubisoft and I also did Ghost of Tsushima. Mm -hmm. You get a buyout. So, I'm. On Canadian video games, you get your daily rate plus 105%. So you're making $4,000, $3,000 a day. Wow. You know, so, you know, so you'll get the same equivalent of $1,800 or whatever it is American, but you don't have the buyout because, and for years it killed Canadian actors. But I keep saying, you know what? Now we're in a better position because Netflix, SAG owes Canada. Because Canada was the one who didn't sign this ridiculous new media deal, not realizing. I remember arguing with people going, you people are, are so short-sighted. In five years, there's going to be no distinction between streaming and television. And we signed this awful new media deal that made Netflix able to do it like it was a web series. Canada on, always made it a buyout. And so once Canada said Netflix is television like everything else, SAG had a bit of leverage power to go, this is television. Some actors don't want to do it. I have some friends who've done some pretty big stuff and I understand they don't want to come to Canada and do like a, a four day guest star role. You know, I'm a guest star actor who's, you know, luckily gets some recurrings and I want to get some series. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I'd rather go to Canada and make five grand, you know? Right. Like Other people don't want to do that. Under yeah, the Canadian contract and, and take the buyout version. Got it. Okay. And take the buyout. Yeah. I have a lot to you know, Because I've that. got my, I've got my rate up high enough that, you know, it's like, okay, four days is a lot of money. Yeah. I'd rather just take the money in my hand and go. I, I had tax problems. I'm not good with money, so I had to pay up a lot of debt. I'm out of debt now, thank God. Thank God. Um, but, I, but you've also got to say no. You know, I've said no six times, they've come back five. Wow. But if you're going to say no, the only power we have is a real no. Don't give a fake no. If you're not willing to walk away, because it's a terrible feeling if you uh, negotiate yourself out of a job. It's also a terrible feeling if you cave. What are your experiences with reps in these conversations? Well, everyone, again, maybe I'm unique. I keep my Canadian Americans separate. Okay. Do you have reps? So you have agents in LA and in uh, Vancouver or Toronto? And I've, and I've met, well, I had Toronto, but I, that was too many. So okay. I, I, I had Vancouver, Toronto and LA and I had a Vancouver man, and LA manager. Okay. Um, now the, my, you know, the, the LA agent, the Vancouver agents want to go 777. And I kept saying, you know, I think you're in a better position to not. I mean, the job I'm doing now is all Canadian and he's getting all of it. Because in Canada, you pay 15%. In the States, you pay 10 to an agent, 10 to a manager. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to pay 20%. And I tell my manager, you guys figure it out. I don't want to deal with it. 
I'm paying 20% per job and I let the manager do the, you know, and it basically it's easier for me if it, if it's a Canadian job, the Canadian agent went for it. It gets complicated if it's a job in Canada that both of them go for, then I go to the manager saying, here's my 20%. You figure it out. Yeah. Uh, you, you can work it out between them. Um, but I got a Canadian series last year where, you know, the Canadian agent finally, you know, I said, if you'd split that seven, 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 you'd be making less money. You know, I don't work as much in the States. There's years when I work a lot in the States, you know, um, and years when I work more in Canada, you know, so if I get a series in the States, the Canadian agent's probably not gonna make any money for a while. If I get a, if I get a series in Canada, the Americans won't. Well, it's, I keep it separate. Other eight, other actors will then just have 7% to eight, everybody, 7% to Canadian, 7% to the manager, 7% to the American agent on every job. I don't do it that way. Other, that's usually how it works. Um, I don't do it that way. I prefer to keep it separate because I do a lot of guest star stuff. So I have a Canadian agent for stuff that is just for locals. Okay. One thing I always do though, is I always just tell them I'm not flying myself. I'm not staying in my sister's basement. You know, so I, what we established was before I even auditioned for it, there's a flight in a hotel. Okay. If you're not going to do that, then we're not auditioning. You need to set your, I, I guess I would say this, you need to set your own level of respect because they're not going to and never take it personally. Just the other one I say is don't take it personally. Don't get mad because they're not offering what you think. That's their damn job. Don't take it personally. Their job is to get us to do this for peanut butter sandwiches and, and M&Ms. That's what they're getting paid for. So they're not, they don't hate you. They're not out to get you. They're not crucifying you. They're not abusing you. I got in a big argument with one of my best friends where he's like, the agents are abusing us by not giving us enough time. I'm like, that's not fucking abuse, dude. That's the business. I don't think they, they don't choose to give us less prep time. They would love to. Yeah. And so if you don't, just don't take it personally, our job is to say, no, I want this. And you need to find that fine line of what you think your value is, which you need to set yourself and what you're comfortable with. You know, I'll take, they'll also do jobs where I get paid almost nothing because I want to do the job. I've also had to go, you know what? There were years when I went down to roles smaller because I needed money and, and the whole industry shifted down. Once the big stars started doing TV, everyone shifted down a couple of notches mm -hmm. and that was hard to deal with. It's like, well, now where's my turn? I like, I feel like I'm, I used to feel a little bit like there's 10 spots and I'm number 11 or 12 and nobody's moving. Nobody's moving up. So, yes. you know, when do I get my chance? You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a mixed race actor, so I'm not ethnic enough. I'm not white enough. A lot of actors bitch about that. That's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do about that. I don't worry about whether I'm ethnic enough. It's out of my control. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing you, know? you can do about that. You, you just are how you are. How, I'm curious, though, how dealing with reps in these situations, have you had the same representation for long periods of time? Or as your career has grown, have you switched out your reps? Because I know there's a lot of actors right now who are- I switched. Uh, changing out their representation I've switched out a fair, or things like that. I've switched out a couple of times. Of okay. All I think when I was real, the first time I did it, I was scared shitless. It took me half an hour to walk in the office. That gets easier because you realize I learned this from Barbara. You know, you think something's going to happen. It's never as bad as you think it is. It's just business. You know, I mean, I also tell myself, you know, I will, I will not allow them to get upset because they drop actors by email. So why are you bitching at me? It's business, you know? We all know the game. I'm saying it has nothing to do with you. Well, of course it has something to do with you. They know that. When they tell us it's not to, we, we all know that we all know how this shit works. It's business. 
if, if you don't, if you don't expect us, if you're going to take it personally, then you need to let us take it personally. Nobody should take it personally. I understand people's feelings get hurt. You need to be tactful. Um, I honestly am a big proponent of just change for change sake sometimes, especially if you're keep doing the same kind of roles all the time. I, I'm, I would go to and say, listen, I really like you. I just think I need to shake stuff up. It's like buying new clothes. I need to change the energy. There's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Yeah. Because you're just something, there's, there's, you know, whether it's the acting gods or whatever it is, you know, it, you're just going to change things up can, can make a huge difference. It really just can. It can change whether you know it or not, subconsciously how you carry yourself. It's going to change how you present yourself. Um, the cast directors hear the same voices. It's, you know, maybe just hearing a different voice advocate for you is you don't know what that's going to do subconsciously, you know? And if, if you feel stuck, this, you need to be tactful. You need to, you know, you need to take these decisions. You can't take them lightly, but sometimes you might need to go, you know, I just need to change things just, just for change sake, just, just, just a fresh start. Mm. Have you, you have you ever had trouble signing with new representation throughout your career? Yeah. And that's when I knew things, that's when I knew things had changed. I, I was trying to look for an agent, I think in 2011, 12, 13, and Mm -hmm. I'd like six pretty, you know, not the huge ones, but six of the sort of good mid-range ones. Did it again at 14 and things had closed down so much that three of them were like, no, we can't even see them. Like agents that would have seen me before, it was all so closed down. It was just when we were getting all the Netflix stuff and after and SAG merger had just happened and all the big stars started doing TV. And you know, there's a lot of work, but like I said, there's, 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 there's something that I don't think people realize had a huge effect on, on how we get cast. I was in LA for 10 years before I did a Grey's Anatomy audition. And I went in and I got pinned. I didn't get it, but the cast director was like, where have you been? I said, I've been here for 10 years. I looked on IMBD and realized that they'd gone through 3,000 actors. So they had to go to other actors. Right, right. <laughs> but, when, but now that everything is eight and tens, Actors aren't going to get as many opportunities because they don't, they're not, they don't, they're, they're not, they don't do enough shows that they're going to run out of actors. 10 episodes, you can use the same 5,000. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the, the, the loss of 22s, the loss of like just shows running through so many actors, I think has changed a little bit about the opportunities that new actors get. I mean, it makes perfect um, sense. And especially right now, I know, you know, a lot of actors are getting really scared that with, the way COVID is changing things, they're having as few yeah. as people on set as, as possible. That which is why I'm so thankful, no. thankful to have this job right now. Yeah, I mean, it's I, super I'm amazing. Um, and it's going to change things. It is going to change things. Um, I think it's going to come back. I don't know if it's going to come back. It worries me because if they start realizing they can trim the stories down and not use as many actors, well. You know, this is about telling stories. This is about money. So they may just go, this is way cheaper. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to affect it. I try not to worry about it. Again, I just, my basic philosophy is do those five things I said and don't worry about the shit you can't control. How do you, Who cares? Following, you know, you, following those rules because I love those rules, but how do you hustle for the next job? Because it sometimes it feels like we're supposed to be working on something I don't. Else. I don't. Okay. I don't. That's why I tell, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, Dude, I don't know. These actors, like, <laughs> like what, work, what, work, what, work, what work are you supposed to fucking do? 
I don't know. This like is, this is where I learned to sort of chill a little bit. Feel. Like it just gets like a little. Okay. 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 Which is fine. Which is, which is fine. But if you think about it, once your work is done, your work is done. Don't manufacture shit. Cause that's how you get stressed out and bitter. Mm. What, what, I have friends like, what work are you fucking doing? What, what else you can do? Like, there's nothing wrong with saying I've done it. What else? I'm not going to just create shit. Now what you can do, which is what I did is go for a walk, get healthy, Go see a movie because it calms you down. That's the work. But don't sit there and do five hours of work that we only need to do an hour. What work is there to do? Really? If you have a, uh, if you have a, a role for a cop that you understand, why are you spending more than a half an hour on it when you have it in a half an hour? Why do you feel you need to spend three hours on it? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Seriously. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think we get, I think we start to, like you said, manufacture our own extra credit uh, off stuff because uh, a lot of us are just looking for validation from the work, which and you I get validation from yourself elsewhere. Yeah. 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 And I understand it because it is really hard. If it's not, it's, it's that feeling of, when, it's so, when we have no control over it, nothing's happening, we feel like we need to do something. And I'm not saying you don't, but at some point there's nothing else you can do. You send out, you, you take the class, you've got new headshots, you've sent out the postcards, you've worked on your scene. That's, it's Wednesday. Okay. You know what, you got nothing else to do, so what? Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, now some people, now some people, now if that works for you, and you can find the balance where it keeps you moving forward, that's great. But for me and a lot of people, I think it gets that sense of desperation. It gets that sense of nothing's happening. It gets that sense of there is, I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're working in a place where there's a stack of papers that need to be signed. And there is no, there is no like, this needs to be done and this, the work's not done until you get this done. Yeah. You know, some, I, I spend, I don't ever memorize lines before I go to work. That's so Unless real. I have a big monologue. Well, you've worked. Yeah. Every, every, think but, about it. We've all gone on. Every actor from the leads are looking at their sides in rehearsal. They're looking. They don't have the scenes memorized the night before. They're memorizing them as they go. The more, the more I'm working in a well, row, right? Like when I work yeah. on a film where I'm working like, uh, you know, 15 days, 20 days, whatever, the yes. less I tend to look at my sides after day like four, I'm rolling. And I think that's the way the industry is now. There's uh, a lot of actors, especially in their first like 10 years, the jobs are so few and far between that you feel like the second you get off of set and the second you stop working that muscle, like things stop rolling as well. Does that make sense? Which I, well, which I get, but that's what acting class is for. And don't get me wrong. It's, 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 I mean, if I, have, if I have like a big, a big scene and a big monologue, I'll make sure I memorize my lines before I show up. But I just know that I can memorize a two-page scene fairly quickly. You know, and I like to keep it as loose as possible. Um, I, I just, this whole work thing is, yeah, if you read something, now don't get, if you read a scene and you understand it, that's it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, what is the work? The work is to ask yourself, who am I? What do I want? What's the relation? What, what other work is there to do? Like why, I, I have friends like, why did you spend four hours on a four line part? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're just, you're just, you're just in your head going, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't understand. I don't understand it. Now there's a fine line. Cause I'm also a lazy ass SOB. <laughs> and I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't work hard enough for a while. Okay. Um, what made you realize you didn't, but work? it moves. 
because I would look at some stuff going, that's not that I'm, I'm, I'm doing just good enough work. And I did became personally not satisfied with it. Got it. I, I, I you know, I realized that I enjoy this and it's like, I, I want to do the best job I can and I need to dig deeper. But there's also times when I read something, go, I got this. I know exactly what this is. That's it. I'm going to go have a cigarette and I'm going to go watch TV. Yeah. I mean, if America, I'd rather watch, I'm not going to miss America's Got Talent to work for three hours. So I feel like I need to do some extra work. Oh. I mean, there, 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 there are people, there are people bending their arms in ways that should not be humanly possible. I'm not going to waste any time on a stupid audition that I already know to miss that. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not. It is really refreshing to see someone who works consistently often and who is a human outside of the, the, the work once it's done and checked off. I, I think we have to be because that's what we are. And like I said, if it works for you, that's fine. But you need to just look at yourself and go, am I doing more work than I need to do? You know, I did go, am I doing less work? But honestly, if you're going on to set and you've got a four page scene, you need to have your lines sort of memorized. You need to know who you are. You need to know what your objective is. What the hell else do you have to do? If you've got that and it takes you a half an hour, you're done. If it takes you an hour, you're done. But why are you going to sit there for three more hours? What are you doing? What, and what the worry about that is, is you may go past your first instinct and start going, well, maybe it's this and get locked into some ways Ooh, and lock yourself in. So many times. <laughs> yeah. So you can't change it. You know, the other thing too, is I've had friends where, and they'll have it all memorized and they go in and they've changed the scene. I said, well, so why, you know, they, they, it may be totally different. To me, it's about preparation is not memorizing your lines. Preparation is knowing what you're trying to achieve in that scene. Preparation is having yourself open enough to find the truth. Preparation is, is being open enough to not let fear stop you. And then you just go. I mean, literally, you just memorize it and you have this stuff and know what you're trying to do. And then you go and open up and, and react to what you're getting and go. That's to me what it is. For me personally, yeah. what else is there to do? Other people have different ways of working. Other people do dream boards and put up pictures and need to memorize it completely. That's fine. Just, I just worry about people that friends of mine and people I know that I'm going, well, you're working yourself too hard. And I think it becomes counterproductive to me. That's questioning yourself. And I used to do it where you feel like this isn't good enough yet. I need to find something different. Well, you know what? They hired you. It's about truth. It is good enough. If you know what it is you're trying to achieve, it is good enough. There is no such thing as good enough. Is it truthful? It's really easy to get caught in that like good enough hamster wheel already with yourself in this career. It's so easy. To yeah. And what I would tell people is, is, is you need to watch this if it's not fun. Because if this, this should always be fun. This is fun. Look at little kids. We're doing what little kids do and they're paying us freaking money. <laughs> we're playing cops and robbers. We're playing, I own a house and I'm married. The kids do and they're paying us. And kids do it. Do you know why kids do it? Kids do it because it's fun. Yeah. And, and if this, and if, if, if it's not fun, you need to look at what, you need to look at, first of all, why, whether or not this is what you want to do. But if it is, you need to look at why isn't it fun anymore. And to me, a lot of it comes out of people overworking. And not feeling like they're satisfied and not having enough confidence in themselves. I mean, this job is fun. To me, this whole thing, no matter what's going on, what, between action and cut is where the, that's where the golden is. Mm. I do this for that. Yeah. And craft, and craft services, but that's gone now. <laughs> but honestly, 
that's no matter it all that's where that's where the magic is Hmm. it's all just to get to the point when they can yell action and you can do this and you can act something out and then they call cut and then you're done that that's where the that's where the gold is that's where the that's what this is all for get on a set right now oh man this has been so good i'm holding you a little past your time but is there anything else that you want to share with us any fun random story like anything from glee or night at the museum you'd want to because that's such a fun set both of those you know i gotta tell you night museum was amazing i'll tell you a story about robin williams i was really scared on that job because that job originally till a spoke English. I, I think my job, I think my original audition lines were, get me doom. And then I came into the audition in Vancouver and the director, Sean, was there and I did my lines they'd written. And he said, oh, we're going to, we might change this. I'm like, we're trying to know how to explain it. It might be some kind of made up language. And I went, you want sort of evil Asian dictator circa 1250? And so I just blew the shit out of my ass, got the job, show up. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the set with Ben Stiller and Rob Williams. And, and I was really scared. Like I was just, I had so, I felt like I'd sold myself on this on this um, deal, which was all the stuff I'm talking about, not having enough confidence in myself. I had to make this language up and there was a scene they cut out where it was in New York and Carla Gina's character was in her apartment and they wanted to find her in my line where I could burn her out. I had actually figured out the Mongolian words for fire and burn an arrow and wrote it down. Eventually I just started making it up literally as I went along. Um, literally, I swear in it. I mean, there's a fuck you motherfucker in there. There's a put the madre. I would literally ask people like where their grandma was born in whatever town and I throw that in. But the, but the story I want to tell is I was really, really kind of nervous. That's how great a person human being Rob Williams was. I did something once and he walked by and went, that was really funny. And I know he did it on purpose because I know that he knew that I would go, holy shit, if Rob Williams thinks that's funny, then I'm doing it okay. Yeah. And I know he did it on purpose. Um, but there was also a big moment, too, where this was a big turning point in that movie and I think in my whole career, where all of this stuff kind of came into fruition. As I was really, I didn't know what I was doing. We're making this up. I'm really scared. I don't have, they put, they, I don't, I was just a Canadian actor. They gave me front billing. I had nothing on it. They like, gave it to me and said I earned it. But I'm making, I don't know what I'm doing. They cut this scene out, too, where I did something and I remember going, I wanted to try something. The line was, he had hidden behind something, and I was like, and I, and I got the guts to go, can I try something? And Sean went, okay, just do it one more time, and then we'll reset, and you can do it your way. <laughs> and I came out, and I, he hid behind the thing, and I went, oh, Larry, and I could see it in Sean's eyes, something had changed. That's when he started to go, okay might have something here and that's when i started to realize it's okay to have ideas and it got to the point then where he called it the gallagher technique where i said what's that he said well you'd have five terrible ideas but i knew that at some point you're going to get a brilliant one and that's where i learned to not be the point of that story is where i learned to not be afraid you you can't be afraid some ideas are stupid but i like to work on sets where you can go this is a stupid no that's stupid but you need to try shit so much of that movie was made up the whole magi so so shit you know what that was? He said, you're going to do the magic scene with Ben. I said, what's that? Don't worry about it. We're going to improv it. I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> oh my God. And then Maggie Soso was in a rehearsal. I went, Maggie Soso. And that was all improvised. That whole scene at the end where we ran together was all improvised. And that's where I learned to not be afraid. And I'll tell you, I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you how many times I heard that's stupid. No, that's a dumb idea. But then eventually that you need to work, you need to, 
it's a there like again it comes down to there is no right way of doing it yeah you know we're gonna have terrible takes we're gonna do shit where it just doesn't work but then you might find something where it does work i had one mistake in sideways which they kept i don't know if you saw sideways yeah Love sideways. I just one line went, went with that weird thing where I go, ah, oh, we have a lot of good stuff. I had forgotten my line for a split second. That's why I went, we have a lot. And they kept it. Because I forgot what I was supposed to say. That's the magic. Other thing I'll tell people is, I, I have to realize, especially becoming a theater, that film is different. Never give up on a take. You don't have one great take, but you only need is one great moment. You can be fucking up your lines and messing the whole thing up, but you could have one moment where they're going to take it out of take two and throw it in there, and you're going to have one moment of truth. So just keep going. Yeah. Just, just never get – because, you know, you're rarely going to have all 35 seconds of whatever you've done. They're going to cut back and forth. And you could be just, like, completely off with your continuity, completely off with whatever you're trying to do, but those mistakes could give you one brilliant look or one brilliant moment. Just keep going. Yeah, and just remember those five things. It is oversimplified, but it really is. Open time, know your lines, hit your mark, make sure someone knows where you are at all times, and don't let fear shut you down. That's all it comes down to. There is no right way, there's no right way or wrong way. And go for the golden period. Action and cut. That's where that's where that's where we live. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Patrick, thank you so, so, so much for your time and your insight. Your career is very enviable and to hear your stories and lessons learned uh, is really, really comforting. So thank you so, so much for that. Don't forget the One Broke Actress Actor Dictionary is now available at onebrokeactress.com slash shop. I will also be doing an Instagram Live with We Audition on their Instagram platform on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. I will be hosting a follow-up to this podcast chat room on the Clubhouse app later in the week this coming week. I will message all about that on my Instagram. So basically everything I do will be posted on the One Broke Actress Instagram. So make sure you're following there for all the latest stuff. As always, thank you, Helena Santos, for your production help. Thank you for introducing me to Patrick. He is such a gem. Thank you to Maggie Zabo for our incredible theme song. Thank you guys so much for listening and reviewing this podcast. And I will talk to you next week. (laughs) 